0: see our reading printed. It's John's Gospel, chapter 21. If you're using a church Bible, page 907. There are black Bibles uh, uh, behind some of the seats on the windowsills upstairs as well. Uh, So do make use of them. John's Gospel, chapter 21. And we're looking at the whole chapter. Now, once you've found John chapter 21, you might want to just flick back. I thought uh, after printing this, it would be worth just reading a couple of verses. John chapter 18. Keep your finger in chapter 21, John chapter 18 and verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. And so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door, and she brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are one of that man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Look at verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Well, let's read John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no, no. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. But none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so was the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is not my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This evening is all about unfinished business. Unfinished business between people. I wonder what you're like with that, unfinished business. It's often hard, isn't it, to leave it? It tends to eat at you, eats at me. A relationship that's got tension in it that's unresolved or a, a work project that's been unsatisfactorily brought to a premature end and there is unfinished business hanging over you. We just sang some astonishingly beautiful words, didn't we, about morning breaking, Jesus meeting us, feeding and comforting as his faithful friends. Faithful friends, really? This chapter is all about the Lord Jesus and Peter. And friends, this evening, this is what Jesus is like when he has unfinished business with one of his followers. So I want to show you three simple things in John chapter 21. We're going to look at food. We're going to look at hope. We're going to look at commission. Point number 1, food for the disciples who could not feed themselves. That's point number 1, food for the disciples who could not feed themselves. Number 2, hope. Hope for the disciple who could not forget his failure. Hope for the disciple who could could not forget his failure. And number 3, commission for the disciple who no longer fears the cost. Really short, snappy points, aren't they? Didn't take you long to get them down. We'll come back to them as we go through. Uh, I want to show you each of them. Here's the first one. Food for the disciples who could not feed themselves. See, in in these first 14 verses, the the, the, the beauty of this story, here is Jesus setting the scene. He's about to do for Peter what Peter could not do for himself. Okay, that's what's at the heart of this. Jesus is going to do for Peter what Peter cannot do for himself. And so to lay the foundations of what he's going to do, he gives these hardened, experienced fishermen fish that they could not get themselves. See, the the disciples are doing what they do best, aren't they? They've they've gone back to fishing. And they're doing it at the time that they do it best, at night time, all night long, putting that net down, dragging it in nothing. Time after time, they let it down and nothing. And then in the morning, bleary-eyed and frustrated, off in the distance, somebody calls them from the shore with the instructions that are going to make all the difference. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. And then the net begins to bulge, doesn't it? And The mist clears from their eyes and the veil lifts from their hearts and they realize it is the Lord. I I find this so astonishingly moving. Verse 7. Without another word. Before John has finished speaking, Peter is overboard and heading for shore. The, The man that we read about in chapter 18, I do not know him. Never heard of him, not with him. Here is the disciple who had blown it, the one who had blown it in spectacular fashion, realizing that the Jesus he had failed had come looking for them. And he's still the same Peter, isn't he? He hasn't changed, he's impetuous, he's rash. Still, still friends, driven by exactly the same desire as before, simply to be near Jesus. I will follow you, Lord. Isn't that what he said? I will lay down my life for you. I want to be with you, near you. And now here he is heading for the shore. It's interesting, isn't it? Will gave it to us this morning. It is always the mark of the true disciple. It's it's the essence of the mark of the true disciple. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be near him. But why this haul of fish, friends? What, what, are the, what are the fish doing here? Why this miracle on the way to Peter's restoration? Uh, we've got several theological postgrads in our midst, haven't we? The, the postgrads will tell you that, uh, verse 11, 153 fish. There are, I don't know how many PhDs written on. What's the significance of this number of fish, 153? I think the significance is that that's the number of the fish that were caught, 153. But why? Why the miracle? Why, why the haul on the way to Peter's restoration? Why do the disciples have to catch fish and eat breakfast before Peter has to speak to Jesus? Why not just call them into shore and go straight into this one-to-one? Here's the reason. Here's what's happening. All the way through John's gospel, John has worked consistently with this pattern. Okay, here's what he's given us. Miraculous sign followed by words that explain it. Miracle followed by explanation. That's the pattern. It's always the way it comes. So a man is miraculously healed, John chapter 5. And Jesus tells us, because I've healed him, you need to know that I, the Son, can give life to whoever I want to. Look at the miracle and hear the words that I'm speaking to you. I have life in my hand. John chapter 9, a blind man has his sight restored and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus, John chapter 13, washes his disciples' feet and says, my death on the cross will wash you clean. All the way through John, there is Miracle first, and then the picture that it shows of spiritual reality. And it's exactly the same here, friends. In John chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is about to say to Peter, Feed my sheep, provide for my people, care for them, tend them, give your life for them, be a pastor, Peter. That's what Jesus is about to say. And if the risen Lord Jesus simply turns up on the beach one morning and says words like that to a man like Peter. What is Peter going to do? Of course, Lord, I'm the man for it. I can do it. I'll do it. I've got everything you need for me to feed your people, Lord. I'm the man for the job. Really? No, if Jesus turns up on the beach and he feeds hungry disciples who cannot feed themselves before he says to them, feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing? Isn't Jesus saying to them, you need me to feed you before you can feed others. Isn't that it? You need me to feed you before you can ever feed others. And the reason for that is this. Jesus is a master who gives. Before he ever asks. Jesus is a master who gives before he ever asks. See, here is, here is Peter thinking, my following of Jesus is everything. My following of Jesus is everything. And here is Jesus saying, no, my feeding of you is everything. My feeding of you is everything. Your following, Peter, comes after my feeding. You will serve me, Peter, but let me serve you first. You're far off. Let let me beckon you back. Let me call you to my side. You're broken, Peter. Let me make you whole. You will feed others, but you're hungry. Let me feed you first. See, Peter had a pattern of thinking that needs to be shattered, doesn't it? It needs to be broken. We think Peter's three denials is the breaking of Peter. Actually, the Lord Jesus is still breaking Peter here. Peter's pattern of thinking, you're going to die, Lord. You're going to the cross. Well, I'm going to come with you. I'm going to die too. No, Peter, I have to die for you before you can ever die like me. Friends, we have to let Jesus do something for us before we can ever do something for him. That, that is the foundation of discipleship. He does something for us first, and then we respond. That, that, that is the foundation of grace here in John chapter 21 that prepares the way for the hope that Jesus is now going to hold out to Peter as he interviews him after breakfast. Food for the disciples who could not feed themselves. Here's the second thing, the the main thing, the heart of this. Number two, I want you to see hope for the disciple who could not forget his failure. Hope for the disciple who couldn't forget his failure. Simon, son of John, verse 15. Do you love me more than these? Those last three words before the question mark, more than these, I I like to imagine the Lord Jesus turning his hand to these other disciples sitting around the fire. Do you love me more than them, Peter? More More than they do? For after all, that was your claim, wasn't it? Nobody else said they would lay down their life for me. So do you truly love me with that kind of love? And this is public, isn't it? It's uh, in front of the others. We we were talking to folks in the church family today who who are interested in becoming church members, and we promised them that on the Sunday that they become members, we would not get them to come and stand up here on their own with the whole church looking at them. There is safety in numbers, isn't there? As folks become members, you want to be part of a group. Here is is Peter in front of everybody else, one-to-one with Jesus, with others eavesdropping. And everybody falls silent as all the eyes are fixed on him. I think in verse 15, Peter is wincing, isn't he? As he recalls how familiar all of this feels. Look look where they are. They're sitting around a fire. Just as he was on the night he betrayed Jesus, all the attention is focused on him. They all know what he did. And yet, of course, look how different this is. That, that shameful night, the question was, do you know him? And now the question is, do you love me? You see how it works, friends? Just as there were three denials, three denials of the Lord Jesus, three betrayals, so now the question comes three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And it's just worth stopping there, isn't it? Thinking, is that the question you would expect to be asked? What would you do? What would I do? What on earth do you think you were doing, Peter? Peter, I, I knew you'd never follow through in your claim to die with me. Why can't you stop and think, Peter? Please stop and reflect next time. Why did you do it, Peter? Are you sorry for what you did? I mean, are you really, truly sorry? Peter, I want you to promise never to do it again. Will you promise from now on, Peter, to try harder? Those are all the questions that rise naturally to me at least, to you as well, I'm sure. Is, Is it not incredible? that here there is no rebuke, no rejection, no no passive-aggressive questioning, just a simple question that is the path that Peter needs out of his failure. He he is crushed, isn't he? He doesn't need to be broken anymore. He is guilty. He doesn't need to be told that he's guilty. He is full of regret. He doesn't need to be re- reminded. And so as Jesus asks, so he teaches Peter and teaches you and me, friends, this evening that loving Jesus is the way out of failure. Loving him is the way out of failure. Simply loving him is the one thing, the only thing that a disciple can do to carve away through the tears and through the pain and to return to Jesus fully restored. Simply loving him. Three times in the place of three denials, Peter gets to say to Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. See, we, we live in cancel culture, don't we? Uh, I, had, I had thought it had calmed down a little bit. I think the last couple of years, cancel culture has been astonishing, hasn't it, in its in its severity. One mistake out of line and a career is finished. Remember Ollie Robinson, the cricketer? A young man and somebody finds his Twitter account from nine, ten years ago. And he's dropped from the team. The most recent example, I guess, is the the comedian Jane Godley. Alistair Stewart, the newsreader. One mistake and you're out. One strike cancelled. Well, this is Jesus's cancel culture. Three denials and all three of them canceled. Each one with the same question. Do you love me? Friends, I hope you can feel this rising from the page in front of you, the, the beauty of the story that John has put together for us. It is a staggering thing to meet the Lord Jesus face to face and to realize that what he wants is not my service, but my love. That, that's what Peter comes to learn, isn't it? The the disciple Jesus loves, the disciple Jesus knows and feeds and cares for, is the disciple who knows what it is simply to say, I love Jesus. It's so important for us. Think about the implications of this. Remember what the Lord Jesus himself said? On the last day, many will come to him and say, On that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Just just think, friends, of at least two of that list, driving out demons and performing miracles. Many of us here, I guess, would say we've never seen those things with our own eyes. Imagine if you saw them. How powerful it would be. Aren't those the kind of people you want in your church, Lord? Prophets, deliverers from demons, miracle makers. And Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, away from me. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. See, just imagine the parent with a child at home. I want you to think of the shallowness, the the cruelty of the parent, the evil of the parent who is not interested in having their child's heart, their child's affections, who, who never speaks to their child about their day, never asks them, any question, doesn't care a hoot that their child will never come to them with their, their cares and fears, their hopes and dreams. Think of the parent who is disinterested in all of that stuff, away with it, can't be bothered, haven't got time, but then who studies the school report with a magnifying glass. Jimmy, you need to try harder here. Could do better here. And in a million hearts and minds, is it not true that God is perceived to be like that parent? Serve me more. Try harder. Make a list of ways to improve. Be a better person. Give me your money. Come to church. Look what you've done now. That's it. The final straw. You've really tripped up. I do not want your service, Peter, unless I have your heart. Do you love me? And as Jesus says that to Peter, so he shatters. I hope you see it shattering this evening. He shatters any conception you may have ever had that we are defined by our failures. I wonder if it, I wonder if it's one big lapse that haunts you. One particular deed that recurs in your waking moments, month after month, you cannot seem to get it off you. I remember seeing an interview years ago from Monica Lewinsky, the young girl who had the affair with Bill Clinton, the American president. She said that the shame sticks to me like tar. It's like a layer of skin has come off, she said, out there in all the world for all the world to see. Maybe maybe for you this evening, it's not a a big lapse, it's a series of repeated ones. The same mistake that just happens over and over again. Something you're so ashamed of, you wonder if you would ever be welcomed by others if they knew. It's an awful feeling, isn't it? That kind of shame and regret that you, you, you know not just that you have hurt someone, but such is the wound that you wonder if that person could ever possibly still love you. Jesus is asking Peter if Peter really loves him. But he's only asking Peter that because he's just shown Peter that Peter is loved, isn't he? Nothing Peter can do, even the very act of denying the Lord on the way to his death, nothing is capable of stopping the Savior from coming to the shore, seeking out his disciples and graciously giving to them what they could not get themselves. Friends, I want you to know this evening that to follow Jesus means that in spite of your sin, in spite of your failure, in spite of your shame, you are loved. That's what I want you to know. Love because Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. And perhaps the most wonderful thing I can say to you this evening is that if behind the lapses you love him, if behind the doubts you love him, if, if behind the failures there is this truth, that you love Jesus, that is enough. That is enough. It's all you need. Friends, failure is never fatal, never final with the Lord Jesus. It never has to be final. It's, it, it is who we turn towards, not what we're turning from that counts. For there is always a Savior to be loved at the end of it. You see, the Bible distinguishes between two types of sorrow, doesn't it? There is worldly sorrow that leads to death. And there is godly sorrow that leads to repentance and life. Who's the the, the counterpart of Peter in the Gospels? It's Judas, isn't it? Worldly sorrow that leads to death, that turns in on himself. Woe is me, there is no hope. Worldly sorrow runs from Christ. Godly sorrow runs to Christ. Cannot get close enough to him. Three times the question, three times Peter replies, says, look at the wording of it, not just I love you, but you know that I love you. You know, see, Jesus is not in the dark here. He's not wondering how Peter's really feeling and trying to find out. No, he's not asking for his own benefit. He's asking for Peter's benefit. Do you know the old saying, only if you are fully known can you be fully loved? Only if you are fully known can you be fully loved? I, I have a friend who had to spend a significant amount of time working undercover. And while he worked undercover, as often happens, he met a woman and fell in love. And their relationship at the very start for several years had at the heart of it a false identity that he had to keep keep pretending was real. And several years into their relationship, he had to sit this woman down and tell him that in fact his name was not Bill Bloggs or whatever it was, but actually someone else. He wasn't doing the job that she thought he was doing. He was actually doing something entirely different. Knowledge like that changes everything, doesn't it? Can you imagine the shock? But as this woman learnt the truth, as she came to know him fully and still said that she loved him, still said that, well then that is love to be trusted, isn't it? To know the full truth about someone and still to love them. That is love in all its fullness. The, the, the big issue we have at the minute is vaccine passports, isn't it? Surveillance society that we live in. It makes us nervous. We do not like the intrusion into our privacy. The, the, the confidentiality of the medical world matters immensely, doesn't it? You, you cannot give medical records away to people, anyone who wants to see them. It creates a tension, doesn't it? We want safety. We want security in our world. We want to be protected. But we resent people knowing more than they should about us. When it comes to the dark corners of our lives, friends, it's exactly the same, isn't it? We don't want to be exposed. We don't want people to know everything there is to know about us, while yet we wonder what would it be like to be loved even if people did know. Nothing makes us as lonely as our secrets. So look at the depth, friends, of what is happening here between Peter and Jesus. Peter says, you know, you know, you know all things, Lord. You were there, Lord. You, you saw the denials. You looked right through me. You saw everything. See that in verse 17, what, what Peter is saying to Jesus is, what he's saying to us, his friends, we do not just live in a surveillance society. We live in a surveillance world where your every last thought, your every last deed, your deepest desires, your greatest shame are all known to Jesus. You cannot hide them. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about you that I will never know. And so Jesus knows whether there is at the core of your being cold indifference towards Him. He knows if there is ignorance about Him that you'd love to overcome if only you knew how. He knows if there is hatred towards Him because of what has happened in your life. And He knows, He knows if you love Him. Three questions. Three answers. And now, friends, three commands. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Each one of these cancelling a denial. Instead of Peter's words, that cold night around a fire, I do not know him. Jesus' words now come, care for those who I know. Care for those who belong to me. Here is the servant who failed being given a fresh start. Isn't it amazing? This is not just, Peter, do you love me? We're in the clear. Everything is okay between us. It is, Peter, everything is okay. And here is what I now want you to do. The employee who blew it is given a promotion. Here's the third thing to see. This is a commission for a disciple who will no longer fear the cost. This is a commission for a disciple who will no longer fear the cost. I will die with you, Lord. And the moment the rubber hit the road, he turned tail, changed his name, pretended he didn't know him. Here is a commission now. Everything is different. Here is a commission to Peter to be a pastor. That's what feeding Christ's sheep means. And you notice the way that Jesus puts it to him. Each time feed my sheep. Not feed your sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. Isn't that amazing? The disciple who couldn't be trusted, now entrusted with the very people that Jesus died for. Friends, that means that all authority, all care, all leadership that any pastor ever exercises over his people is delegated authority. That the pastor is charged with caring for people who do not belong to him. They belong to Jesus. It's like the babysitter, isn't it? Looking after your children. You, you say to him as you head out the door, you're in charge this evening. Don't stand for any of their nonsense. Make sure they're in bed by 2am. No more than five hours TV. You, you are in charge, not them. But the carer has delegated authority, don't don't they? They have delegated authority over the children that you love and that are so precious to you. And so here, Peter, will you love the people that I love? To Peter, the man who denied him. Imagine the employee who cancels the project, ruins the project that everybody's been waiting for for years. It sends it down the pan, everything goes wrong, given the next project, a bigger one. Do you notice, friends, as well, that feeding the sheep comes after loving the Savior? Do you love me, Peter? I do. Then feed my sheep. I want to say, friends, that getting it that way round is vital, absolutely vital. Pity any pastor that cares about loving his church more than he cares about loving his Savior. Pity any preacher who loves preaching more than he loves Jesus himself. Pity any Sunday school teacher that loves children more than he or she loves Jesus. No, only if you've come to Jesus and been fed by Jesus and loved by Jesus so that you love him in return, only if it's done in that order do you actually have anything with which to feed others. That's the lesson that Peter is learning. And now that he's seen it, now that Peter's got it, friends, look at the incredible reversal that takes place in verse 18. See, once Peter had said, I will die for you, and then he turned tail and ran. But now that Jesus has died for Peter, and first love, Peter, now he says to him, you will die for me. Remember that promise you made, Peter? Well, one day it will come true. You will suffer for me and die. And think these words here in uh, verse 18. The tradition has it that these are words about Peter stretching out his hands, being led away by others to his death on a cross. We don't know for sure, but it seems to be how Peter died. you see how everything is different now? Gone is the bluster, gone is the bravado, but gone too is the fear and trepidation. And for a master like this, for love like this, there is nothing else Peter would rather do than to follow. I want to finish by telling you about the words. I've, I, I've done this several times Uh, make no apology for doing it again. You'll hear me do this over the years if you're with us. Several times telling you about the words of C.T. Studd, uh, the famous missionary to Africa. C.T. Studd was part of the Cambridge Seven, young men with the world at their feet, immensely gifted intellectually, sporting ability, and who gave up everything uh, to serve the Lord in far-flung parts of the world. C.T. Studd Uh, who gave his life in missionary service in Africa. He's famous for saying, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You've probably heard that. If Christ is God and died for me, no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Many of you know that several years after C.T. Stud was in Africa, Dr. Helen Rosevere, uh, also in Africa, uh, the same mission organization, and suffering terribly, suffered horrendously. You can read uh, lots of her accounts of her missionary uh, missionary experiences in Africa. Helen Rosevere said this. She said, you know, C.T. Stud, she said, was nearly right, nearly right. He said, here's what what really gets to the heart of what the Lord Jesus is doing here with Peter. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then in fact there is no sacrifice that I can make. All that is left is privilege. If Christ is God and died for me, if if that is the... if that is the measure of what love is, that he did that for me, he loved me like that and fed me like that, whatever I do for him in return is privilege, not sacrifice. It all depends how you look at it. Oh, here is the depth, friends, of how the Lord Jesus closes unfinished business with those whom he loves giving to them again before he ever asks, turning the table so that only now they see the full extent, the full extent of his grace and mercy, his kindness and friendship. And oh, for love like that, love like that lavished upon us. Our friends, there is no sacrifice that we can make. All that is left is privilege. Amen.